get into the uh, message this morning. Uh, first of all, you know that Vacation Bible School is coming up just two weeks away on that. We've been signing up for volunteers and signing up for supplies, and uh, we opened registrations last week. So uh, just a reminder to you, invite your friends and neighbors, and, and of course their, their, uh, their children are invited to uh, come and be a part of that with us. Uh, it's going to be just a great, great time. Uh, the theme, Joy Story, uh, with a movie, Toy Story 4, releasing this summer. Uh, great timing. Corey's done a great job writing the scripts and the lessons for this. It's just going to be really, really impactful. So invite you to invite someone to be involved in that. It's going to be really great. And just looking ahead a little bit, um, starting August the uh, 4th, we're going to be a new series in a new series for fall going into fall. Um, as school comes, you know, starts back and everybody's kind of getting ready for, for all that. And yes, it is coming. I know everybody collective grown. We're already talking about school, but it is coming. But we're going to do a series called Say Yes. And Say Yes is going to be one of those pivotal series because what we're going to be talking about is God's philosophy of ministry. If you go to Bible college or seminary, something that we're asked as uh, ministers and pastors to write is our philosophy of ministry. And I've always had this thought, well, you know, I can write a philosophy of ministry, but who cares what Eric's philosophy of ministry is? I'm more interested in what is God's philosophy of ministry, right? And so uh, we're going to be learning that together, is what, what are we called to do and, and, and to be a, a positive uh, culture here in the church that says yes to where God wants us to serve, that says yes to moving forward in faith. And so we invite you uh, to be a part of that. And again, that's going to be uh, uh, coming up in just, just a few weeks. So it's a great time to be involved here at Oakwood, a great time uh, to uh, get involved in the church. We're relaunching uh, Connect Groups in just a few weeks. It's just going to be a great, great fall. So I want to make sure that you're here and, and stay in tune with all that. Uh, we're going to begin today with prayer. So if you would just bow your heads. Just going to give you a moment today to pray to God and just pray that simple prayer. Lord, today speak to me. And believing that, all God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. So you got Genesis, and then you have Exodus in the scripture. And if you uh, didn't bring your Bible, you can just grab that one that's provided there around you, turn it to page 56, and I'll get you there uh, to uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 14. And as always, you're, uh, you are uh, welcome to get on your phone, get on your tablet this morning. Uh, if you download the Oakwood app and go to sermons and go to sermon notes there, all the notes and all the scriptures we're going to be reading this morning are provided right there for you. So I want to make you um, aware of the availability of that. It's a great way to stay connected. There's actually a place for you uh, to take notes in there even if you, if you want to. So what I want to do to begin this morning <clears throat> is just to give you a little bit of background into what's going on with the story of the Israelites as you're turning to Exodus 14. Because what's going on is the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. And they, uh, through, a, through a situation that happened in the book of Genesis, you can read about this through the life of Joseph, they have ended up in Egypt as slaves to the Egyptians. They have been enslaved in Egypt uh, for what most scholars believe to be 400 years, okay? So if you're in a place for 400 years, generation after generation, guess what? It kind of becomes a way of life, right? It kind of becomes what you're used to. And you may not like it, you may not be in, like being enslaved for that long, but that is, in essence, what has happened to them, 400 years. And God raises up a deliverer for the people, and his name is Moses. How many of you have ever heard of Moses? Any Moses people? 
Heard of Moses? All right, have you been in church circles? You've probably heard of that. If you haven't, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of story into Moses, a little insight into him. God has called him to, uh, he was serving as a prince of Egypt in, in, in the Egyptian court, has called him out. He's had this burning bush experience where God appears to him and through a burning bush and gives him a command and says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and to tell him to let the nation of Israel go. And so he does. Now, how many of you have ever seen the movie Ten Commandments? You know that old school movie, Ten Commandments? All right, if you haven't seen Ten Commandments, I want to recommend that. Um, sometime when you've got nine hours, um, you can watch that. No, it's not nine hours. It's just like four and a half. But um, I exaggerate, yeah. But anyway, but uh, it's, really, it's really awesome to kind of see, like, what it might might have been like it's very biblical the movie is uh, but they of course you know we don't know what lines were spoken so they have some theatrical liberties there but a great story and, and, and so Moses goes back and and uh you know Charlton Heston in the, in the movie and he goes back to Pharaoh and he says you know I'm you know Pharaoh I'm talking on behalf of the Lord God Almighty the God of the Israelites and the God of the Israelites says let my people go it's very epic every time he says it. And every time Pharaoh says, you know, I'm not going to let your people go. And so it starts these plagues. You may have heard of the, the ten plagues of Egypt. And actually a plague of frogs, which we've had that in Enid this year. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, and I guess, I guess that's been like going around. And see, my yard, I'm not even close to like a lake, a pond, even a ditch. I mean, I, you know, it's dry now. It's really dry. My yard, I'm watering all the time trying to keep it alive. And, you know, but I have frogs, like like everywhere. And when I mow, I decapitate frogs <laughs> everywhere. I'm chunks of frogs. I don't see them. I don't do it on purpose. Okay, I'm not animal cruelty. You know, I want the PETA people on me or somebody. You know, I'm just mowing my yard and then chunks of frogs go off. But there's been so many of them and they're all this size, you know. I mean, they're, I don't know what it is, but it's just been, you know, the year of the frogs. So it's like that. I mean, they've had plagues of frogs and gnats and, and flies and crops and Fiery hell stones come down on them from heaven. They've had all these plagues. And they get to the last plague of the ten. And it's by far the worst plague. And it's that the firstborn of anybody in the house, the angel of death is going to come to every house in Egypt. The Israelites' houses and the Egyptian houses. Now the Israelites have been instructed by the Lord to kill a lamb, to make a sacrifice, and that to, to put the blood of that lamb on their doorposts. And then when they do that and the angel of death comes that night, the angel of death would pass over and, and would skip that house because it was covered by the blood of the lamb. And so uh, the, Egypt, the Egyptians, of course, don't know this, so they're losing their firstborns, and Pharaoh loses his firstborn son. And then that's like the last straw, and he says that's it. So when, when uh, Charlton Heston you know, comes to Pharaoh, as Moses said, uh, he says, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go. And this time Pharaoh says, get out of here. I want no more of this. The gnats, the flies, the frogs, the, now you've killed my son. I, uh, get out of here. Just, just take your people and get out of here. And so they leave. And what we're picking up in the story today is they're in the Exodus. That's how the book got its name, is they're exiting out of Egypt. They're in the Exodus, and they're, they're pulling away from Egypt. And they come, and God has led them um, in a very, very miraculous way. It, it, he actually, they call it a pillar that was before the people. So if you can imagine, there's like a million Jews, most scholar, scholars believe. So this isn't like 20 Jews. It's like a million people, okay? And they're, and they're on foot with their donkeys. They've been in slaves, so they don't have much. They're on, their, they're on their feet, they've got maybe some animals with them, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going away from Egypt, trying to pull away, trying to kind of run away. And it says that God appeared to them, you can read this in, Ex, in Exodus 13, that God appeared to them in this pillar of a cloud by day, 
and a pillar of fire by night. And that's how he led them, is they knew the direction they were going to go because Moses was leading the charge to tell the people, follow this pillar. And this pillar was always before the people. The pillar would always go in front of them. And during the day he was a cloud, at night he was a fire. The reason he was a fire at night was to provide light that they could actually keep traveling at night. But there's a problem. The scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart against the Israelites. And they're like, man, all of our workers just left. You know, we, we kind of like them carrying the load around here for 400 years. We need to go back and we need to, uh, to uh, get them to come back and to serve us once again. And so they take out after the Israelites. Well, the Israelites looking in their rearview mirror kind of see them coming. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. They have their backs against the wall, so to say. They're, they're in this little area right next to the Red Sea. The Red Sea is miles to cross. It's one of those things that it, it's, it's, it's really looking really, really dire for them. There's nowhere to go. They're trapped. Here comes Egypt. Egypt's mad because of the plagues. And now they're going to take them back to be their slaves. And that's where we pick up the scripture today, Exodus 14. So, again, follow along with me, Exodus 14, beginning with verse 10. It says this. When Pharaoh, that's the king of Egypt, if you didn't know the term Pharaoh, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, who is God's appointed leader, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the wilderness? Yes, sarcasm there. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let's pause there for a minute. See, God has got a plan. The Israelites are having a hard time seeing it, but he's got a plan. I can't help it when, when I'm reading this, think about our lives, that we sometimes feel like we're hemmed in, right? That we got away from the enemy, now the enemy is right there on our doorstep again. What are we going to do? We've got water on one side. I mean, do we swim? Do, does a million people swim? You know, do we send them out into the sea? You know, what, 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 what are we going to do here? I mean, we are totally surrounded. The enemy that we just left is right there on our tail. And we get to the part where it's just, what are we going to do? We're God's chosen people. Yes, we have our faith in him, but what are we going to do? We just don't see it. And sometimes it's good to remember, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And he's sovereign over all things. Nothing surprises him. He was like, oh, gee, you know, really surprised the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians came after you. 
If you read Exodus 13, it says that he hardened the heart of Pharaoh toward the Israelites. That, that that was something that God actually did because he's working his plan. And sometimes the plan isn't what we thought it was. Because we get to this point and what we've read so far says to, what, says to us what? I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, we're going to die. We're either going to get caught and battle them. We're going to get caught and go back to Egypt as slaves, which probably the cruelty there that we experienced before is going to be amped up even more now because we've ticked them off by leaving. I mean, what are we going to do? But God's got a plan. Let's read on. Verse 19. It says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. Who didn't see that. And the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them. So the pillar of cloud that was before them has now moved behind the nation of Israel, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So overnight is when this is actually going on. And it's interesting because it says that this pillar of fire actually separated the Egyptians from the Israelites, and it gave light to the night, all through the night. Now listen, look at the next verse, verse 21. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land. You know what the sea would be like at the bottom? If you've been at the bottom of a pond or a lake, it's kind of, you know, slimy, it's muddy. Okay, it was dry land. It would be really hard to move a million people through molasses from the bottom of the sea. Because you know they'd be sinking in, it'd be slippery. It was dry ground under the sea. Another miracle that God did. And yet it says that when those waters were divided, that they walked through on dry land. Verse 22, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in a pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that, so that they drove heavily. So what God's done here is he's taken the dry ground and made it the seabed again. And so it's like clogging up their chariot wheels, their horses are sinking, it's like we're... We're stuck. We're stuck in this place. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. <clears throat> and then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. If you go down to verse 30, it says that the bodies of the Egyptians were, were coming up on the seashore. Now, it's, this is an amazing story. I don't, I don't know, but just reading that, it's like all the different miraculous things that, that come into play. All the different miraculous things that happen. That God is working through all of these things. And what I don't want us to miss this morning, though, is if we go back to verse 13 of what does the Lord command of the people? 
What does he say to Moses? What does he say to the nation of Israel? And what do they need to do? What's their part in this? Because God always demands some part of us to put our faith in him. He wants some kind of action from the people. The first thing he says there in verse 13 is fear not. Fear not. Do you see that there? The very first two words are fear not. And the reason is, is because the presence of the Almighty God and the power of the Almighty God drives out fear. The Bible puts it this way. It says perfect love drives out fear. The Bible also says that God is love. And so God in his perfect love and his power drives out fear and that we shouldn't be a people who live in fear. And yet I think of today and I think there's so many Christians that live with fear in their lives. They got fear about tomorrow. They've got fear about whether this relationship's going to work out or not. They've got fear about their future. They've got fear about their job. They've got fear about their finances. They've got fear, it seems like, all of the time. And we're reminded all throughout the Bible, I mean, how many times have you heard, fear not? All the time, right? It's this constant reminder that you are God's people. You are his nation. You are his children. Because of that, you shouldn't be one that lives in fear. In fear of what the doctor might say, in fear of your future, in fear of what might happen this week, in fear of this relational circumstance you have yourself in, you don't know how it's going to end up. Fear of all of these areas of your life. And it says to fear not. It says to fear not, to trust in the Lord and in his mighty power. And here's the thing is, when God's presence is there and his presence drives out fear, his presence drives out a whole lot more things than that, too. There's a whole lot more things that, that God's presence can drive out. I was trying to think of a, a good story to illustrate this, and what God brought to me was Mark chapter 9. So uh, you don't, don't feel like you need to turn there. I'm just going to read this story to you. I want you to see the power and the dominion of God at work through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the story of Jesus and he's healing a boy of a of demon possession of an unclean spirit that's been in this boy. So listen to what happens here. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. So they see Jesus from a distance and they run up and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you all arguing about? What are, what, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes <clears throat> rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to do so. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he uh, convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said to him, from childhood. It, it, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. The spirit was even trying to take this little boy's life. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, catch this, and Jesus said to them, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. If you can? Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said this, I believe, help my unbelief. Man, isn't that something that we need to cry out today? 
And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it this, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter into him again. And after crying out and convulsing the boy terribly, it came out, and the boy lay there like a corpse, so that most of the crowd said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Fear not. Fear not, because God's got this. And you need simply to put your faith and your trust in him. Now, it might not happen how you thought it was going to happen. It might not happen in the timing you had hoped it would happen. But God is on the throne. He is all-powerful. He is all-sovereign. Nothing surprises him. And he's going to do all that he has promised to do. And we are called to not be a people living in fear. Fear of tomorrow, fear of the future. Fear of whatever is going on in our lives. Fear of what might happen. No, we're not called to be a people of fear. Because God is on the throne. He's going to take care of everything. So the first thing Moses says to them is, he says to them, fear not. Now let's go back to our passage and back there to uh, verse 13. After he says the two words, fear not, then he says what? Stand firm. It's another commandment to the people. Fear not. Stand firm. What are they standing firm in? They're standing firm in their faith. That God is who he, is, who he says he is. That he's promised to do all that he's promised to do. And that he will actually do it and see it to completion in their lives. And when God says, I have a plan to deliver you, that means what? He's got a plan to deliver you. And that you're just going to have to wait on the way he's going to reveal to you step by step what that plan is. And so they're crying out. They're saying, oh, we just want to go back to Egypt. We just want to go back and be enslaved again. You know, it was, uh, we just want to go back. It was so much better over there, so much safer over there. And yeah, we hated our lives. We hated our existence. There was no meaning to it. But we are trapped here by the sea. Fear not. Stand firm in your faith. Put your faith in God. Just like he said there in, in 9, the power of God over fear, the power of God to do whatever he wants to do, the power of God over everything else in life. You see, his presence not only drives out fear, but his presence gives us faith. That's what I love about the Father in the Mark 9 account. Is he's like, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's not completed yet. I'm not there completely. Help my unbelief. Jesus, show me. And what did Jesus do? Cast the demon out of his son. And everybody thought he was dead because it convulsed him violently, and he laid on the ground completely still. What does it say? Jesus walked over and said, ha, he's not dead. Get up. Rises right back up. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that has the power to do what he wants to do, to do what he's promised to do. But he's going to do it in his way. He's going to do it in his time. Do you think the Israelites with the, the pillar that had gone before them all the way to the Red Sea, do you think they saw how God's going to protect us overnight? Oh, he's going to go behind us. The pillar is actually going to transfer and be behind us now. I notice also when we read that passage, the angel of the Lord was there with them too. So we need to fear not. We need to stand firm. And then look at verse 14, what it says. It says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Why do you have only to be silent? Look at what's interesting right after stand firm in verse 13. It says, stand firm, and then what does he say right after that? And see the salvation. And see the salvation. 
of the Lord, which he will work for you today. They were going to see that salvation worked out today, right there at the Red Sea. It was going to part. He was going to deliver them across on dry land. They were going to see the Egyptians fall behind them. They were going to see the salvation that day. But that salvation is not just for that day. That salvation was for eternity as God's chosen people. You see, we have salvation even here and now. Salvation from our sins that we can leave our life of sinfulness and go God's way in life. But we also have salvation for the end of life. Again, fear not. Again, trust in the Lord. Stand firm in your faith. Even at the end, even when, when whether it's God takes you quickly or this long drawn out process, we're all going to pass away someday. But if you are in Christ, then you need to have confidence that even at the end, look, your salvation is before you. See your salvation that what might be worked out even on that day. And stand firm in that. And fear not, but we also need to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And it's interesting because in the NIV, how it translates there, it said be silent. It just says to be still. And it gives us the idea of ceasing. I'm literally, I'm not going to say anything, and I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be still and pause for just a moment and reflect on who the Lord is. And I'm going to find my peace, and I'm going to find my solace there. This is the reflection step. Be silent. This is the step of trust. Be silent. Stop talking. Stop talking to your friends looking for answers. Start, stop talking to whoever is in this world. And start talking to God. You know, so many times, if we have a problem, if you encounter a problem this week, what do most of us do if we encounter a problem and we need help? We're not able to process it ourselves or whatever. What do we do? Our tendency is to what? Talk to another human. Be honest. That's the first place we turn, isn't it? Oh, I've got this issue, man. I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation. So I'm going to talk to another human. And the whole time, God's right there. God's saying, be silent. Be silent. I'm wanting to speak to you, but you're talking to all your friends about it. You've reached out to Facebook about it. You, I mean, you, you've called everybody. You, you've, you've talked to all these people about it. Just be silent so that I can speak. You remember a couple weeks ago I talked about the story of Elijah. And he was fleeing. The, the queen was after him, was going to kill him, and he was fleeing into the wilderness. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm depressed. I, I just don't want to do any of this anymore. I'm, I'm done. And he goes into this cave and the Lord says, hey, I'm going to appear to you to, to, to enrich your faith, to build your faith. I'm going to appear to you. And if you remember the story, when he was in the cave, a great wind came. I don't know what that wind looked like, but it said the wind split rocks. So a rock-splitting wind comes, howling, loud, monstrous, powerful. And it says, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then it was, next was this earthquake. It shook the ground. It broke rocks. It just shook everything. It was loud. It was tumultuous. It was powerful. And it said, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then do you remember the third thing? There was a fire, a great fire, just burning and crackling. And, and the heat from the fire could be felt even in the cave. And, and Elijah is there. And it says, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then it says after that, there was this what? Gentle Exhale. Be silent. Reflect. Trust in 
the Lord. Sometimes the silence doesn't make us comfortable. But sometimes I think God wants to speak. I just can't hear him. And it's interesting that even here in the book of Exodus, with all that's going around and all that's going on, I'm sure it's loud as the east wind is blowing up walls of water and all this is, is happening, that right before they're to move forward, he says, hey, chill out, be silent, be still. And then in verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. In the NIV there, it says to tell the people of Israel to move on. Move. Be still and be silent. But that's just a pause for a moment to remember. And then you're going to move. You're going to go forward. So God calls us to fear not. He calls us to stand firm. He calls us to be silent. And then he calls us to move. He calls us to go forward. He gives us his instructions. He gives us his leading. And he says that you need to go forward now. And right after that, he tells Moses, lift up your staff. Put it over the water. I'm going to stack these water walls. I'm going to dry out the seabed. And you and the million people around you are going to walk across on dry land. And I'm not going to stop there because you still got this pillar of fire behind you. Overnight, you guys are going to cross. We don't know how many miles it was across, but it was, it was quite a distance. They cross over, and in the morning, the Egyptians come, and they all get in the seabed. God makes it kind of sloppy for them, slows their chariots, moving heavily through it. And the seabed closes over them, and they watch from the shoreline their enemies defeated. It says that you're, you're not even going to see these people ever again. They're watching chariots and people do a drown, wash up on the seashore. And God says, hey, I told you, fear not. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Be silent and quit talking and seeking out everything else in the world. Seek me. And then go forward. It's time to move. But I think there's a balance here. I think there's a balance between number three and number four. I think there's this balance of pausing <clears throat> and reflecting and remembering. And some of us really like that step. It's refreshing to us. But then some of us never take the next step. The next step is go forward. The next step is to move. To move on. If they don't step into that seabed, they will be slaves of the enemy, or they will be killed in a fierce battle. And God says, go forward. Now, I want you to consider this morning just for a moment. Are you going forward? If you're to really be honest and look at your life right now, where is God leading you to move in your life, and how are you moving more toward him? How are you taking that step of faith? And some of you, you're all the way back at one, right? Fear not. Well, I have fear. I don't know how God's going to work this out. If I tell my coworker about Jesus, I don't know how he's going to save this family member. They've been a toot their whole life, and I don't know how to change that. You know, we have all of this fear. And God says, hey, fear not. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. And he says, hey, stand firm in the faith and believe in me. Quit talking to everybody about it. Just listen to me. Be silent. But after that silence and that time of pause and reflection, it's time to move. 
The way I like to think about it is this. You ever jump in a pool? How many people have been in a pool this summer? A lot of you have been swimming in a pool. What do you do before you jump in the pool? You pause and you do what? You take a deep breath, right? You go, and then you do what? You seal it off, right? You know, some of you got to hold your nose and, you know. What do you do? You take the deep breath and you pause and then you jump. And you jump and you're ready, right? All I did, you know, if I said jump in the pool, you don't stand there for like three months. It's like, man, I'm going to get in. It's like, no, what do you do? You just go, that's what it's talking about here. Pause and reflect. Be silent. Go forward. What is God calling you to and what's missing in your life might be the move of God. And it's because you're, you're just stagnant. You just want to take the easy way. God says, no, I have called you to life more than this. It's time to move. And that's the challenge this morning. For some of you, that move is to actually give your life to Jesus Christ. It's to actually respond to God and respond to his grace, respond to Christ's death and burial and, and resurrection by giving your life over to him. If you've never made that decision this morning, you're like, how do I do that? What's the next step? We're going to sing a song. We invite you to come over here to the decision room. We've got elders that are going to be over there, staff, decision guides. They'd love to talk to you about your next step to following Jesus. Probably for many more of us here, at church this morning, the truth is, is, is that we have been on a journey with Christ, but we've stopped the movement. We're stagnant. I mean, really, get real. Think about your life. What did you do this week that was a move forward toward God? And it's time to repent. It's time to say, well, you know what? This is serious. We're living in the last days. There's eternal destinations on the line here. Because I think in each one of you, as we've talked this morning, God has put something in there that said, this is it. This is what I've been prompting you to. That feeling you had that you're supposed to join the connect group, yes, move, go forward. That conviction you had that you need to be reading the Bible and not just on Sunday when Eric opens it for you and reads it to you, yes, move, go forward. You know that thing that you felt convicted about, that conversation you're supposed to have with someone and you're supposed to share your faith? Yes, go forward and move. Don't wait any longer. For the price of it may be dear. We have the Israelites as our example. We have God's power on our side. Don't be a people of fear. Stand firm in that faith. Be silent. Take a deep breath. Pause and reflect. And then take a step of action. Because I'm telling you what. God has amazing plans for your life if you're a believer. Amazing plans. I just think Christians don't experience it, they don't realize it. Because we sit and we don't move. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you love us and I thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. Now there's so many times in, in, in life where I think you are, you are there in heaven. Lord, you're looking down on your children, you're saying, I just need you to do something for me. Just something. Move. Don't just stay stagnant for the rest of your life. There's so much more. We are going to accomplish much together. And yet the devil says, oh, oh, wait, this might happen. You need to have fear there. Let me give you some anxiety and some worry and some depression. Let me mix that in. 
And God says, fear not. Man, I'm really wavering in my faith. I'm not sure you can do it, God. I'm not sure you can do it again, God. And yet God's saying, stand firm. God, I, I got to talk to my friend. I got to talk to this other person, this other person that I, that I really respect. And, and God says, be silent. And in that silence, God whispers, now. Move. Go forward in faith in me. Take that next step toward following me and draw closer to me and see what I'm going to do, what we are going to do together in life. God, I pray as we sing this song, if anyone needs to respond, to head over to the decision room to talk to somebody about that. God, I just pray this time would be about you and your movement. God, you um, pushing us, prodding us, leading us. God, you're before us in the pillar you're behind us in the pillar. You've got it all under control. Our response and our human frailty is to just trust in you and move. We pray these things in Jesus' name.